What's up, friends? Okay, so this is part two of the series I'm doing on speaking to the next generation about building a positive relationship with food, body, movement. And last week we talked a lot about, well, first of all, I had my son on there. I was so excited. Um, He listened to it. He felt like he was a superstar. It was really cute. Um, But I talked about how we can build this safe space for body diversity, body changes, embracing the dynamic nature of our bodies, and then really encouraging the value of enjoying food. So all really important, all things I live and breathe and believe in very strongly. But at the end of the day, I still have folks coming to me saying, yeah, but Jess, what if I'm overweight? What if my kid is overweight? What if they've gained weight? So today, I really want to dive into that. And I want to start to speak about the logistics of how to manage weight gain, both in ourselves, in our children, in the next generation, because what we're doing isn't working. You know, we've waged, quote, war on obesity, and instead we've created a generation that feels insecure in their bodies and afraid to eat. And it's just not working anymore. We have to break this cycle. This reminded me of a conversation I had recently with a friend and mentor of mine who had gone to the mail and found a athletic magazine, and on the cover was women of all different sizes. Now, one of them was in a body that was much larger than what is typically displayed on a fitness magazine. And she called, and I loved her questions because she's like, I love the embracing of body diversity, but this woman, is she healthy? Like, can she be in a larger body and be healthy? And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's like, how do we dance this line between you know, being healthy, but embracing body diversity? How can we instill boundaries in ourselves and teach our kids without sending them and triggering them into this good, bad, black or white thinking when it comes to food and body? So super excited for today. I'm going to be talking about how to empower the next generation to build truly healthy habits, both mentally and physically, because I think there are some common misconceptions, and I've mentioned this before, about intuitive eating and the health at every size and those misinterpretations of those two concepts and thinking that it means eat whatever you want whenever you want really sets us up to fail and it couldn't be farther from the truth. So we're going to clear all that up. I want to talk about what the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending for prevention of obesity and eating disorders. How can we can empower the next generation to be their healthiest, most wonderful selves because the next generation is our future. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. It's time to finally break up with dieting and choose to live boldly and unapologetically in that bodacious body of yours. If you've had enough of your inner awesome being eclipsed by body hate and you're drowning in that sea of nutrition info out there, girl, I made this podcast for you. Become the healthiest and most energized version of yourself through confidence, food freedom, faith, and body empowerment from science-backed nutrition and energizing foods with a little wiggle room. Because who doesn't want a side of donuts and a little wine does the body good? (laughs) I'm Jess, a body bully warrior, registered dietitian, and food freedom guru. I believe that when we stop letting culture define health, beauty, and what we should and shouldn't eat, we can finally live free in our own bodies. Are you ready to channel your inner awesome at a whole nother level? Grab a cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show. Okay, before we dive in, let's look at some of the facts that are floating out around there. So 
Number one, there is a lot of information about how childhood obesity is on the rise. According to the CDC, child and adolescents who qualify as, quote, obese, which is defined as those who plot above the 95th percentile on growth charts. So it's estimated that there's about 19% of children and adolescents who fall in this category. Now, keep in mind, BMI is a screening tool. It doesn't factor in genetics, build, family history, or muscle loss. And I think that's really important to know, especially when you're looking at your kid's BMI or you're talking with your physician about it. So, for example, I have this client I'm working with and her daughter has always been at the 95th percentile since she was born. And that is where her growth curve has tracked. And so when she took her daughter in who is seven years old and she's still at the 95th percentile, I mean, to the mom, it was no surprise. That's where she's always been. She knows what her daughter eats. She feels confident in that. But she also knows her daughter comes from a family lineage of bigger boned women. Well, technically, her daughter falls in the obesity category. But is she at health risk? Well, no. I mean, that, there's there's no health concern. She's not overdoing it on added sugar. So I, I just want to throw that out there because the BMI, I think, is a it's a tricky screening tool. It is a screening tool, but we need to not get so caught up in it. Because then, yeah, again, like think of the example of teenage athletes. Most teenage athletes, when they start to gain a lot of muscle mass and they're going through puberty, are going to pop up on that growth curve and their BMI is going to read pretty high. A lot of the football players have a BMI above the 95th percentile. A lot of wrestlers will get above that when they start really putting on some of that lean mass. So again, are they overweight? Are they unhealthy? Or is it just that they're reading on this screening tool that may not be applicable to them? So I'm not endorsing the BMI. I just want to spell out that when you hear statistics like 20% of our population or of the childhood population is obese, that's a piece of information. And yes, we need to look at it, but we don't need to, we need to understand where it's coming from and the background of that BMI. On the flip side, according to research, by age six, girls especially start to express concerns about their own weight or shape. 40 to 60% of elementary school girls ages six to 12 are concerned about their weight or becoming too fat. Guys, Six to 12 year olds, <laughs> they don't need to be worried about being fat. It's, it breaks my heart to even think of that. They should be more concerned about playing at recess than what their body shape is. Approximately half of teenage girls and one quarter of teenage boys are dissatisfied with their bodies. This study was actually done four years ago, so I have no doubt that's gone dramatically up with um, access to social media. Even though we don't want our kids to be in bodies that are unhealthy, obviously hyper-focusing on weight, just it's not working. There's two papers I want to reference today. One is an expert committee on obesity. They put together a paper regarding the prevention, assessment, and treatment of child and adolescent overweight and obesity. What's really interesting in this paper is they emphasize prevention. Only in the extreme case do they actually address weight loss in children. Rather, no matter where they fall on that growth curve, what they are recommending is prevention of long-term unhealthy habits, which in hopes will manage some of the comorbidities that are associated with these unhealthy habits. They're not focusing on weight loss. Here is the expert committee on obesity, and they are not recommending weight loss. Here's what they're recommending. Limit consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages. Encourage diets with higher amounts of fruits and vegetables. 
Limit TV time to two hours or less. Eat breakfast every day. Limit how much we eat out at restaurants or just manage it. Encourage family meals. Eat a diet rich in calcium. Guys, what do you notice about these? There's nothing extreme about them. There's no keto. There's no, you know, special case cereal diet. <laughs> it's really simple, basic behavior changes. And as I read through those, one of the, the questions I always want to talk with parents about before we start pushing this on our kids is how are we How are we doing in line with this? You know, limiting consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages, and I don't don't love the language of that. I tend to be more of like a half glass full versus a half glass empty kind of person. So I would rather say something like budget your consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages. That's just my eating disorder background. (laughs) Coming out, drinking two, three, four sodas a day is not something that's going to serve us or our kids. So learning to budget that within our needs, reducing it to, you know, maybe one a day, treating it like a treat. I mean, that's what Cokes used to be, right? My grandpa used to tell me they were five cents and they came in a glass bottle and it was a treat to go to the local corner store and get a soda. So getting back to some of that, family meals, eating breakfast every day. I mean, these are building blocks of balanced eating that are going to set us and our kids up to live in a healthy body. And then if we're doing these, we can rest assured that, okay, if I'm building these healthy eating patterns, I can be less focused on or less concerned about what's going on with my weight and just trust that my body's going to take care of itself. The Academy of Pediatrics put together an awesome paper. Guys, you can Google this and find this. It is so good. It's the American Academy of Pediatrics position statement on the prevention of childhood obesity and eating disorders. I think every parent should read this because what I love is they balance this line between like, okay, how do we teach body empowerment without giving like the green light to eat whatever you want and do whatever you want all the time? Because children need some boundaries there. Or, you know, like with my little boy, if you listen to the podcast last week, I asked him about candy and he was, he was so cute. You know, I said, how much, if you could, how much candy would you eat? And he at first said, oh, not very much. And then I kept pushing him a little because I knew he was lying. And he was like, oh, just kidding. I'd eat it all the time. So kids do need those boundaries, but we can do it in a way that empowers them rather than shames them. And really the key to doing that is keeping the focus on behaviors and what those behaviors are giving us as opposed to body weight. And that can be really hard for us because guys... Ladies, we grew up being told that that weight is what's important. We grew up hyper-focused on the number, what size we were, and that's only getting worse. So it can feel like it goes against what we are trained to do, but I want to give you that permission slip today that if it feels like you're going against that, that's okay. And we're going to stay grounded and rooted in the behavior patterns that we're demonstrating and displaying to our kids and what we're teaching them. Okay, so this paper, I love it. They they go into a lot of detail, but towards the end, they talk about evidence-based management strategies that are associated with preventing both obesity and eating disorders. So two things we desperately need for our next the next generation. Number one, dieting. Dieting is a risk factor for both obesity and eating disorders. So we definitely don't want to be doing that ourselves nor pushing that on our children. Number two, family meals. We know that a higher frequency of family meals is associated with improved diet quality 
and increased consumption of nutrient-dense foods like fruits, veggies, calcium-based foods, and a reduction of foods that are high in added sugars. I love this because if there's one thing I'm good at, it's family meals. I mean, we don't get to do it every night, but we try to do it about four nights or four meals a week. Again, you heard it on the podcast last week. My kids do not eat vegetables. I mean, I've done all the things. Guys, I've read all the books. I read all the books as for my career before I had kids. And then I read more books when I had kids because I was trying harder. But they just don't like them. And one of my main goals with my kids when it comes to the dinner table is to cultivate this environment that feels safe, that encourages family bonding, and supports the freedom to try new foods or not try new foods. They do not always try the new foods I put in front of them. They still to this day do not eat vegetables unless I blend it up in something I call a candy smoothie. (laughs) I'll post that on my Instagram so you guys can see. But they just won't eat vegetables. And you know, I'm not stressed about it. Sometimes people are surprised by that because they think, oh, Jess, you of all people should know that it's so important to eat fruits and vegetables. Well, yeah, of course I know that. But I know my husband and I are modeling that for our kids. So they'll pick up on it eventually. I mean, honestly, guys, I didn't eat fruits and veggies. (laughs) I think I ate like grapes, strawberries. I would eat bananas with massive amounts of peanut butter on it, but I have some aversions to that and carrots. That's about all I ate until I was like five years into my dietetics career. (laughs) So, I mean, I was a late bloomer in the vegetable department, but now I love them. And my kids, they will get there eventually. And I'm really trusting that process. So number three is weight talk. Oh, Oh, this one's so tough because this is where we as moms, aunts, mentors, role models have to really work on ourselves. Even well-intended comments about weight, they can be perceived as hurtful or harmful to children and adolescents. Whether it involves encouraging the child to diet or you're talking about your own dieting, it's proven to be linked to overweight in kids. So even us just talking about it has been shown to be correlated with an increase or weight gain in our kids. Oh, that's tough. We're all aware that this is probably not a good thing to be saying in front of our kids. But guys, kids are smart. They know. The other day I was having a really rough day and trying to hold it together. And so my son comes out, I'm doing the dishes and, you know, I'm doing the normal mom thing, like trying to put all my emotions in a box and I'm scrubbing the dishes like fast pace. And he goes, mama, what's wrong? I said, oh, nothing. I'm just getting the dishes done. Uh, How was your day? Tell me about school. You know, I'm trying to keep the conversation focused on him. He came over and just gave me a hug. And I like started crying again. (laughs) But he said, mama, I can tell something's wrong. What's wrong? They are so in tune to our emotions. So to think that they're not picking up on some of our struggles is just naive. Now, I don't want you to create a lot of pressure on yourself with this because Yeah, we struggle. We as women, I just, I think it's part of living in our culture. We're going to continue to struggle and that's okay. Our children can handle that. Where I've seen the most success in parents and their teens is when the moms talk to their teens about the struggles they've had themselves. You know, you can decide how much detail you want to share, but letting them know like, hey, this struggle is real. Weight is a tough topic. 
And you're going to hear a lot of information about it from a lot of different people, maybe even people you love and trust. And it's okay to struggle with that. But here's where we land. Like that is such a valuable conversation because the topic of weight, you know, we can, maybe we can keep it in a box at home, but it's going to come up somewhere, either, you know, Aunt Rosie or Grandma, whatever. I mean, somebody's going to say something about weight. Having that weight talk talking about it up front in a safe setting and then really being mindful to not talk about it and project our own issues with weight onto the kiddos. Really, really cool papers. I'll link them in the show notes if you guys are want to nerd out and dive into them with me. But what I want to do is shift gears a little bit and talk about what we can do to keep our kids healthy and out of this eating disorder, body insecure trap. So number one is teach empowered eating. Guys, if you haven't listened to my episode with Bryn Smith, she's one of my favorite dietitians and we've worked together for years. We have this model of empowered eating that we teach to our clients and it's overlaying values, internal awareness, and external nutrition knowledge. Ultimately, it's intuitive eating with your values intertwined into it. So that way there is some of this balance of discipline and permission. But this is something you cannot start too early. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. I was going to Chick-fil-A the other day with my son. We go to Chick-fil-A a lot. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A. And I was getting, so I have two boys. They were in the back seat. One of the younger one was asleep. And the older one said, hey, mama, can we get a milkshake? So I said, okay, yeah, we can get a milkshake. Normally when I get these boys milkshakes, I split it into two. And so one, they each get half. Well, because the other one was sleeping, I just didn't think of it. And I thought, okay, I'll just hand him the small milkshake and then, you know, take it away from him to save the rest for his brother when he wakes up. Well, my older boy took that milkshake and did what kids do. He downed the whole thing. So then I turn around and I'm checking on how, yes, we're eating in the car. <laughs> yes, I do that. So just, just let you all know I'm a normal mom. Even though I teach intuitive and mindful eating, I still eat with my kids Chick-fil-A in the car. If you do that, you're not alone and no shame in that. But so anyways, he takes a shake and he downs it and he's just starting on his chicken. All of a sudden he goes, oh, mama, my stomach hurts. And I was like, okay, well, why do you think your stomach hurts? And he's like, I drank the milkshake. So here is a prime opportunity to start teaching empowered eating in our kids. What I could have said is, well, see, that's why I told you you can't have the whole milkshake. It's not good for you. That's too much sugar. Like I could have started on that lecture train. And honestly, I almost did. But I took a breath and I just said, okay, well, what do you think about that? And, you know, they're so smart. They're so much smarter than we give them credit for. My six-year-old goes, well... I think I drank too much of the milkshake. And I said, okay, what do you think we should do next time? He said, I think you should order it and split it in two like you normally do so I won't drink as much because it's so good, mama, and I can't stop myself. Wow. At age six, he knew that he needed to provide a boundary for himself. So I said, okay, well, do what you can to finish your chicken. We'll remember that next time. Next week we go. He says, hey, mama, can we get the milkshake? But will you make sure and split it into two? Because I don't want to feel sick again. Amazing. He learned biofeedback without shame right there in his car seat. Invaluable. It's never too early to teach our kids how to eat empowered. Children are naturally intuitive eaters, and they're going to adjust their intake based on biological need until 
about the age of two to three in the toddler years that's when they start looking to external cues to dictate like what they should and shouldn't eat or you know they start to have preferences for things like candy or milkshakes and they might eat more than what feels good in their body so as early as age three children are susceptible to these external messages be it from diet culture or commercials promoting pizza and soda I mean, they're susceptible to those, including what their body should and shouldn't look like. Beginning that early, we can start setting them up, which really puts them on this trajectory for having a positive relationship with body and food. They are magnificently intelligent and far less influenced by stress and responsibility as adults are. So I think laying this foundation early and often is just invaluable. Intuitive eating is really known to be inversely associated with many health comorbidities such as cardiovascular risk, triglycerides, eating disorder development. Um, We know it creates a positive space for a healthy relationship with food, body, um, decreased anxiety even. (laughs) You guys, our kids are up against so much. There is a tsunami of information about food and body. We got to start young teaching them how to feel empowered in their own bodies. And we really can do that by Pretty much how we would teach anything else. When a parent teaches a child how to navigate versus instructing or lecturing them what to do, parents really instilling a sense of autonomy and independence in their child. And so um, teaching them intuitive eating, teaching them to hear their biofeedback. When they overeat, don't shame. Let them feel that discomfort and how to adjust for next time. You guys heard last week, it's like my little boys when they pee, Is there pee yellow? I mean, that's all biofeedback and really using that biofeedback to dictate the next choice we make about food. So this really leads me into number two, which is teach our kids and the next generation to listen and to trust their bodies. The impact of being taught that your body is not trustworthy, guys, that's everlasting. I'm working with 80-year-olds that still don't trust their body because they were told that it wasn't trustworthy at an early age. So really creating curiosity instead of shame based approaches to eating it creates this platform for healthy eating that will extend well into adulthood I think many of you you were not taught this grace-based approach to body and food I have heard from so many women that they were those women that were taught from an early age that you need to be smaller and you need to eat less. Family comments were made. Mom or dad would would say things about how your body had changed in the last few months. This implicit message here is that gaining weight is unacceptable and you are not to be trusted with food. Uh, guys, I have so much empathy for this. If you listen to my first podcast, uh, you know my story. You know that I was really, really blessed with my parents and raised to believe that my body was good and that I was more than my appearance. But even with that encouragement and foundation, I ended up battling an eating disorder. I cannot imagine what it's like for women who face our culture without being taught that their body is good at an early age. If you are one of those women that you were told something's wrong with your body, you need to be thinner, you need to be smaller, you need to lose weight, look at that cellulite, you eat way too much. I mean, all those things. If you were taught this when you were five, why wouldn't you struggle now at 25, 35, 45, and beyond? So if you are one of these women that falls in this category, I want to give you a huge audio hug right now and tell you that you are not alone. 
and your journey has been so much harder than it needed to be. But you, ladies, you are resilient. You are stronger than that. And here's the thing. You're in control of you. It is never too late to change your story, change your narrative, change your mind. And the key to empowering the next generation and giving them what you didn't get starts with giving it to yourself. The act of learning to trust our bodies is invaluable. We've got to do it within ourselves. Being able to do this is rooted in taking our eyes off weight loss and perfectionism as the gold standard and starting to listen to our body, get to know it and its imperfections. I heard the most amazing quote this week by Iris McAlpin. If we knew someone was in a relationship based solely on their partner's looks and attractiveness, we'd probably think of that as being a bit shallow. But that is exactly the kind of relationship we are encouraged to have with our bodies. Poo, like mind blown. If we're going to break out of this superficial, abusive relationship with our body, we have to start approaching it like we would any other well-rounded, deep relationship. We listen to it, both the good and the bad, and then we offer grace. We learn, we grow, and we find joy in the journey. In food terms, this means allowing your body to provide feedback from the foods you eat. So when you have, like when my little boy had too much of that milkshake, it didn't feel good. And he's not going to do that to himself again. When we eat things like fruits and vegetables, we might feel better. Maybe we need to do more of that, even though we don't love the way they taste compared to nachos or milkshakes. But listening to the body and responding accordingly is the ultimate act of self-care and body love. The beauty in this is that you don't need Instagram influencers or, you know, Pinterest or whatever to tell you what you should and shouldn't eat. Rather, you embrace the trial and error process and build body autonomy and self-efficacy with your own food choices. So it makes me think of pancakes. (laughs) This week, I had two clients who were eating pancakes for breakfast. And their response to these pancakes could not have been more different. So I want to tell you about both and how empowered eating really fits into this and learning to trust that your body is giving you appropriate feedback is the most valuable thing we can tap into. So both these clients, when they told me about pancakes, here's the questions I asked. What was your energy level after eating this food? How long did that energy last? Was this food choice one that you would want to make again? And if so, why? So one of the women told me I felt energized. I found that eating pancakes after my workout made me feel like I bounced back faster and I wasn't ravenous by 9 a.m. Awesome. She, that's a perfect example of having a higher carb dose in the morning for that woman. It's great. Let's do more of that. Great biofeedback process of understanding how the body responded to her food choices and helping her make more of the same in the future. The other woman She said, I feel sluggish. I felt more tired. I wanted to take a nap. I almost felt like my heart was beating faster and I felt really bloated. So interestingly, this latter woman, she has something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And if you know anything about polycystic ovarian syndrome, the research shows they tend to benefit from a lower carbohydrate diet. So from a physiological perspective, it behooves her to take in a breakfast that is lower in carbs. But we didn't start there. I didn't say, hey, look, you have PCOS. I don't want you eating pancakes for breakfast. She said she wanted to eat pancakes. So we said, let's try it and let's listen to her body. Her body responded in alignment with her physiological needs. For years, she was trying to tell herself, don't eat pancakes. Don't eat things like this for breakfast. But this led to her wanting them more. And eventually, she would give in and indulge and often overeat on carbs. 
this would then ignite that restrict, binge, feel guilty cycle. From this perspective, she was able to hear her body's response to the larger dose of carbs. And instead of the decision to not have this many carbs in the future being based on restriction, now it's based on her biology. It's based on her biofeedback. Invaluable. Using our own body's response to dictate what we do next is just incredible. Guys, we can do that ourselves and we can absolutely empower the next generation to do the same. Our kids have this opportunity to learn this early on and in teaching them this approach, we're setting them up to live comfortably in their bodies. Guys, I look at my kids, it would break my heart if they thought any differently, if they thought something is wrong with them. Now I know they're going to, I know that's just part of being human, but I want to do everything I can to make sure they know they are beautifully and wonderfully made. Guys, our kids have this opportunity to learn this early on. And in teaching them this approach, we are setting them up to live comfortably in their bodies from the beginning. Embracing the empowered eating right off the bat and then teaching them how to listen and trust their body's response to food is something that will carry them so much farther than any list of you should and shouldn't eat this. This is good and bad food. There is just so much value in that and something that is a foundation that's going to make them truly healthy, both from the physical standpoint and the mental standpoint. Ladies, I hope you all have a wonderful week. And if you take anything away from today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice your own biofeedback and then look for opportunities to empower that and instill that concept in the next generation. So listen to how our body responds to food. And instead of getting stuck on judgment or should I have not done that? Should I have done that? How did it feel? Good, bad, or indifferent? And then use that information to make the decision moving forward of how you're going to respond to that food or have or not have that food. You can even do that with movement. Like, how'd you feel after that movement? Was it something you want to do next time? Let's remove the judgment. Let's really lay this foundation of curiosity. And let's get ourselves and our kids feeling super comfortable in their bodies. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope today strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you're interested in working with me virtually, please shoot me an email at jessbrownrd at gmail.com so I can send over my coaching menu. And if you like today's episode, please take a minute to head on over to iTunes, Fuel Her Awesome Podcast, to leave a review and subscribe. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice and had the ability to step into their full potential? Wow. If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by food, body, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media or with your friends. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. I cannot wait to chat with you babes next time. Until then, cheers and happy eating.